Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast, episode 128 of the Sports Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Tim, along with Anthony. And it is another stellar week in the world of sports. Lots going on. The Browns won their playoff game on the road, missing their head coach, missing their offensive line coach, the assistant offensive line coach, players, and they defeat the Pittsburgh Steelers in Heinz Field. Uh, just announced about an hour ago, Urban Meyer is the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And uh, well, so much more going on in the world of sports. The Cavaliers were part of a uh, major trade. And, uh, you know, Ohio State unfortunately came up short against Alabama. Unfortunately, not unexpected. Why uh, is Alabama good? I knew they were good. And I've seen them play a couple times this year. I think they played a flawless game against Ohio State. Maybe the best game I've seen them play in years. And, and I mean that sincerely. That was just a perfect game plan, perfect execution. And they just dominated from the opening kick to the end of the ball game. And uh, they deserve the national t- title. They are, they are the real deal. And uh, back-to-back championship of the Tide. So congratulations from them. With all that said, let's bring in Anthony and get his thoughts here as we uh, continue here on the podcast. Yeah, it's nice to be back this week, and uh, like you mentioned right off the bat, uh, I'm not sure I have watched a game where a team has played with that much speed, that much athleticism, that much physicality, and they just don't make mistakes. Oh. I mean, the execution is you've, – you've come to expect that from Alabama – no matter when they play, you might have a blip here where they don't execute as well. They don't, but they still win. Tim, that team made one mistake, missed one block on the strip sack fumble, and that was it. And the whole thing of, well, this defense isn't that good. And, you know, there's some people saying Ohio State can score on them. That defense is good. They may not have the best coaching they've had on the defensive side of the ball, but good. I mean, I sat there and, I knew Devontae Smith was a stud. But here's the scary thing, Tim. He wasn't even the best receiver for Alabama that night if if uh, Jalen Waddle was fully healthy. I mean, it, it, it is um, – to me, it was refreshing to see a team – you know, football nowadays has gone so much, you know, home run shot, home run shot, home run shot, home run shot, and go for the 34-yard bombs. Did Alabama throw one 40 or 50 yard pass on the field? Maybe one. Yeah, maybe one. I mean, besides that, the exit, the scheme and the play calling by Steve Sarkeesian was absolutely phenomenal. And the scary thing, they don't really need to run the ball for 140, 150 yards, 160 yards to have success. And that Najee Harris is a stud. Because Ohio State, for the most part, I thought, at initial contact, played him pretty well. But his strength and his power, you know, a gain that would get one, maybe two yards, turned into four, five, six yards. And for a guy that size to have that kind of moves, I mean, it's, it's, you know, and their offensive line, missing their starting center, played flawlessly. They didn't let Ohio State get any pressure on Jones. They are a really really good football team. Maybe the best Nick Saban has had. Maybe the best Saban's ever had. That's a not saying a lot. That's a legitimate statement. I will say this. Was Ohio State a full strength? No, but that's just the way life is. That's just the way life is, and you got to deal with it. Just like the Browns this past week. Were they at full strength? No, you just got to deal with it. And uh, that's not an excuse, but it's just a reality. But does Ohio Ohio State at full strength beat them? I don't think so. I think it's a better game. I think it's a, it's a much better game, especially because there have been better matchups. You wouldn't have to play three or four uh, linebackers the entire yeah. game. I think that was the difference is they couldn't match up uh, properly. Uh, the one touchdown pass that they had, what was like, like a 35, 40-yard touchdown pass where uh, Smith uh, they caught had it Portland, and, yeah. and they had a linebacker on them? I mean, yeah, it's, it's not Combs' fault as a defensive coordinator. You're just lacking – playmakers on the defense mm-hmm. and any good coaching staff takes advantages of matchups and they did and they did a fantastic job and 
and the players executed flawlessly. And I, I think they punted two times the entire game, and only one of them was really a in-game, uh, you know, in the quarter type scenario. They just were unstoppable. Uh, the only time they got stopped was really on that strip sack, and you know, tied the game at fourteen. When they went up 21-14 and Ohio State was answering and went right down the field and had a settle yeah. for the field goal, I think That's almost funny. everybody in the in the country said the exact same thing. This game's over. I said, yep. with that, the defense yep. did not yep. make a stop after that field goal, this game's over. And yep. that's exactly what Alabama did. They didn't, they didn't miss a beat. They went right down the field and scored. And then Ohio State made the fatal mistake and I do mean fatal mistake of not protecting the clock, running the yep. ball on first down and second down, uh-huh. forcing Alabama to use timeouts. And in the yep. process, they gave the ball right back to them. They went right down the field and got a field goal before half. And, you know, all the credit to Alabama and the way they played. They made some mistakes, yes, uh, but that's not why they lost. They lost no. because Alabama was a better team. Uh, but – yeah, I will say this, and I think we can say this uh, clearly to the entire nation. Ohio State was definitely the number two team in the nation. There's no question in my mind that a healthy Ohio State team, a team that had that much talent that they do, could play a quality game against Alabama. But there's no question in my mind that Alabama would probably win most of those games. Uh, just like the Notre Dame game, I said this. I thought Ohio State had to be in the same man. Uh, mind frame is punch uh, Alabama in the face mm-hmm. right away yeah, and, and try to control the tempo of the game. That did not happen. No. Alabama no. on the first drive really took control of the game. Ohio State answered. Ohio State played well. Uh, Alabama tightened up uh, late in the ball game, stopped them inside the 10-yard line and stuff like that. Give them credit mm-hmm. where credit's due. Uh, you know, they kept uh, Ohio State off balance all day and you know, obviously losing Sermon on the first play of the game never hurt, you know, never a good scenario for Ohio State. And, hey, that's the breaks of a, of a football game. But I will, uh, you know, give the Tide all the credit in the world. They earned that championship. And that that's a really, really fine team and not a surprise. But it'll be interesting uh, to see next year with Bill O'Brien as the offensive yeah. coordinator there. Obviously a totally different style than Steve Carsason. And it will, just like, Brian Dable before him was a totally mm-hmm. different style and others. So it will be interesting to see how this all works out for Alabama long-term, but yeah, I mean, give them credit. They just go from one Bill Belichick tree to another, or to another, another, uh, and, and, and Saban is, is one of the best in the business for a reason. And uh, he's proven that in his entire career at LSU at Alabama, uh, obviously Michigan state years ago, mm-hmm. Uh, could not get the same talent level, but always was competitive and good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously he left Miami before he really had a chance to, to make significant in-grounds there. Yeah. So we'll never know if he could have done it at, at Miami in the NFL or not. But uh, we're going to find out if Herbert Meyer can. And if everybody remembers our podcast last year uh, during the football season before all the changes were made before the hiring of Stefanski. Mm-hmm. I was on that train big time saying the Browns needed to hire uh, Urban Meyer because Urban Meyer would be a perfect fit uh, for the NFL. Now's the time. And he took another year to get there, but now he's found a uh, an organization. And I'm really thinking uh, this is a, is, is a great hire for uh, Jacksonville. Uh, I'm a big Urban Meyer uh, fan, I've watched him, you know, from Bowling Green to Utah uh, to Florida to Ohio State, and yeah, this is the last opportunity. You know, if the NFL was going to offer an opportunity for him, he had to take it now or forever. You know, kind of stay in retirement because I don't think there was a college job right now that he would no. take. But let's say four or five years from now, if there was a need, or three years from now, where there was an opening somewhere, I could see him going back into the college get ranks. But I honestly do believe uh, the next he's going to end his career uh, with Jacksonville, and uh, we'll see where, where it takes him. But uh, yeah, him with uh, Trevor Lawrence as the number one pick, I I think it's a great great marriage to come. Uh, 
when it comes to quarterbacks, he's always been successful. And I think this is a, uh, an opportunity for Jacksonville to be a, uh, one of the main players in the, in the South for a while. May not happen right away, but I, I do believe that uh, within the next two years, you're going to see them uh, contend for a divisional title and a playoff run. It'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how Meyer reacts. Let's face it. The Jaguars, Sands, two, maybe three years have been absolutely awful. You know, Sands, a couple right. AFC championship runs, um, they've been a perennial losers. So it'll be interesting to see how he can handle losing because they're going to lose a lot this year. You know, they're going to lose a lot his first year. Um, and for a guy who's maybe, you know, for, for a guy who's awful season is two losses, um, it'll be interesting. Now, on the flip side, there's some talent down there. The Jaguars have some offensive talent. Uh, James Robinson, the Illinois State product, uh, turned in a very nice rookie year. Uh, Chark and Chenault are nice receivers on the outside. The thing Ermeyer has going for him, he has a lot of connections player-wise in the NFL, and a lot of guys love him. So now that he's there, they might be able to pick some free agents that they normally wouldn't have gotten in the past. Also, like you mentioned, uh, Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick, can slide right in. I'll say this. Urban Meyer now, I believe, is better suited for the NFL than he would have been five, six years ago. Oh, definitely, I agree. Because the NFL is starting to have a – they're starting to change. The scheme is starting to change. It's become more of a spread it out, you know, spread kind of offense um, instead of the ground and pound. Now, there are some still – teams that want to ground and pound. And you have to run the football in the NFL to win. Um, and that's why you look at every playoff team left and they can run the ball really well. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he handles a lot of the early losses until he can get his guys in there and his scheme. Um, you know, we don't know if there's going to be a, a training camp and all of that with everything going on. it also be interesting to see who he gets on his staff. Well, really you know what I'm – let me stop you for a second. You yeah. brought up a great point about his staff. I'm kind of curious too. Now, I don't know who Jacksonville has under contract or mm -hmm. they let him everybody go or not. Previously, if you go on the history of Urban Meyer, mm -hmm. every place he's been, the defensive corner yep. he's kept. Now, I'm not yes, saying that's right. going to happen here at the NFL level because it's a totally different game. However, I'll be interested to see if he still uses that same philosophy yep. this year as he builds this team. Now, I'm going to say this. I think this team could be 500 next year. Really? Yeah. I think it might not be. Um, I think he's that big of a difference. I think he could be. Uh, I would not shock me if he's right in the middle of 7-9, and 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and seven. I really won't be surprised. Now, as we all know, in the NFL, games are close to begin with. So if you lose a lot of close ones, you'll probably mm -hmm. end up with double-digit losses. Yep. But if you can win a few of those, then all of a sudden you go from a 6-10 and 10 team to an 8-8 eight and eight team to a 9-7 and seven team. And that's really how the NFL is built. It's not built to be the Cleveland Browns, who spent 18 years in misery, losing, you know, 11 mm -hmm. games every year. It's, it's not really built that way. If it's run properly, you should be able to turn around your team pretty quickly. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle the draft. It'll be interesting, like you said, how they handle free agency uh, and mm -hmm. going forward. But I, I, like I said, I, I've been a big admirer of Urban Meyer for a long time, and uh, I think he'll do fine. I think this is a great hire. I think, yeah, do people you? are going to say it's out of the box and he's a college coach, not an F. I, as you just mentioned, the NFL game has adapted to what the collegiate offensive game has been for the last about five to 10 years. It has gradually moved that direction because these are the talented players are coming in who are yes. used to this type of yes. offense. Uh, the quarterbacks aren't underneath center in the mm -hmm. college game anymore. 95% of the time they are in shotgun. Uh, one thing about Urban Meyer, as you know, if you're an Ohio State fan or if you're a Florida fan, mm -hmm. he ran the ball. Yes, he, was, he did. Uh, you know, the run it's a game power was a spread. Big, it's the 
And you add a quarterback with the dimensions of uh, Lawrence who can run the ball. And that's a huge part of the NFL today. You know, now, granted, he's not going to be Jackson from Baltimore, but you don't have to be. No, but you, no, ha- you, you don't. You, you just have to be willing to show the ability to be a threat with your legs and be able to do an RPO properly and mm-hmm. make good decisions. You know, uh, Buffalo uh, is a perfect example of that. And, you know, what Jones has done there. So I honestly believe that this could be a really good opportunity for him. Now, obviously, with Urban Meyer's past history with medical problems and other things, mm-hmm. it's year to year with him, let's be honest. But I can definitely see him, you know, for the next three seasons being in Jacksonville and going forward from there. And if they are as, you know, if they can be as successful as a playoff hunt every year, I think that there's a chance that he can get there. But you're right. Most college coaches can't handle the idea mm-hmm. of losing, uh, you know, five, six, seven games a season, which happens. You know, that's what made Pete Carroll so special is that he started in the NFL, went to the collegiate mm-hmm. ranks and then came back to the NFL. And, you know, he's basically never had a losing season in the NFL. No. Uh, his two teams prior to Seattle were, uh, I think, both 500. And he got fired both times after mm-hmm. one season. So, uh, or, or, or in that range, put it that way. I don't know exactly. But uh, there have been other coaches who's come from the collegiate ranks and have had success. And I think Urban Meyer will be another one they'll talk about in the future about a guy who was at the collegiate level, went to the NFL as a head coach, and had success. Um, Super Bowl success? Well, 31 other teams are trying to do the exact same thing. Yep. So it's it's not as easy as it sounds, but I definitely think that Jacksonville made a great hire and has an opportunity to uh, take it to the next level. And, uh, yeah, I think this upcoming draft, we're going to find out exactly what the philosophy of the uh, Jaguars will be going forward. Out, you know, for a franchise like we've talked about that has not won traditionally, they've been perennial losers almost every year except for a couple here and there. They've never been consistent playoff contenders like you mentioned. They needed something outside of the box. You needed to go outside of the box. Um, I almost compare it to the Arizona situation. Yes. Now, the Colonels have had more success, um, but – not a ton more. They made a Super Bowl, lost, uh, made some play appearances here and there. But they went out and hired Cliff Kingsbury, who was nowhere near. I mean, he, let's face it. He was 6-6, six 7-5 and six, seven and five at Texas Tech every year. He wasn't great. You know, right. they, were not, they were not very good. Um, but he's still right in the NFL in Arizona, and they're getting to be a threat in the NFC West with a couple more pieces. Um, that division in the AFC South, Houston's a rebuilding mess. No, Deshaun Watson may not be there next year or in two years. Um, the coach, it's Phillip Rivers year to year now. You don't know in Tennessee, they're good, but they're not great. Um, so like you said, yeah, if if they hit in the draft and they assemble a nice staff, um, maybe. it's it, There are building pieces. There are building blocks like we talked about. It would be interesting to me to see if he plucks Kerry Combs away from Ohio State, a guy who's had three to four years in the NFL, who when he was at Tennessee as a defensive backs coach, the Titans DBs are pretty good. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, you're right. That'll be a very interesting uh, thing. And then uh, uh, for Ohio State fans, I hope it doesn't happen. I'm, uh, I like Combs. Uh, I would I rather they lose nice Combs job. and Larry Johnson. True. Then I got a feeling that Larry Johnson, either a head coach or a defensive line coach in the NFL, that guy is one hell of a football. I mean, one hell of a football coach. Yeah. Um, someone is going to pay him. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's getting paid now. Trust me. He's getting paid handsomely at Ohio State. Yes, he is. Um, he could have probably left in the last few years, but Ohio State stepped up to make he did not. Uh, but him stepping in this year for day for that game, uh, obviously he hasn't got any interviews at the NFL level as a head coach or anything like that, but I imagine some collegiate coaching jobs in the next uh, year or two are going to take a high look at him here, uh, going forward. Here's what's going to be interesting to see. Um, 
regarding Meyer staff. We talked about, it's basically a shoe and I believe, and everybody believes Trevor Lawrence, number one of the Jaguars. Unless Urban Meyer throws everybody a huge curveball and falls in love with Justin Fields and takes the Buckeye. But I think it's just, I think it's Trevor Lawrence, number one. Clemson's offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, is being bantered about for some offensive coordinator jobs in the NFL. I know some teams have already requested permission to interview him. It would not shock me at all if he does his interviews, Meyer knows his homework, he does his homework. If Elliott interviews well, it would not shock me at all if Tony Elliott from Clemson is on the staff next year in Jacksonville and you got Meyer, Elliott, and Trevor Lawrence. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's even a remote, remote possibility. But with Elliott interviewing for offensive coordinator jobs in the NFL, you got to think Meyer is so smart to believe, why not keep that seamless transition going? It's already going to be a whole new game for Lawrence as it is and myself. Why not keep some continuity there? Um, Tim, you watched more Jacksonville games this year than I did with the Browns playing them. I don't know what their defense is like, what they're like on that side of the ball. Who their defensive coordinator players. is. They got some players you're to right. work with. Yeah. Meyer has kept the defensive staff pretty much intact. But look. Defensive coordinator usually is what he's kept. Well, he has mm-hmm. kept it everywhere he was. If yes. they, he inherited a, a football team. The defensive coordinator is staying down. He may have added to it like, like a co-defensive yeah. mm-hmm. uh, coordinator. Yes. However, that that person has always been retained. Uh, who knows what will happen this year. Obviously, I, I imagine he's going to find some NFL veteran uh, coaches, former coaches, and that to be on his staff to help him through uh, and to communicate with players at the NFL level. Mm-hmm. Look, look for Marvin Lewis to get an interview with Jackson. That's been that's been like a, talked that, about. Right. That's been high on the uh, on the rumors list. And we'll see. I mean, obviously, a defensive coordinator there. And like I said, I don't know if they let go of the entire staff in Jacksonville, which is usually the case when the head coach mm-hmm. gets fired. Not 100% of the time, but usually the case. Uh, it all depends on contract situations and what the ownership chooses to do, if they want to pay these people off or not uh, to leave. And that's just like, you know, I mentioned like the Browns, we talked about all the coaching searches they've done, how many coaches and scouts and everybody else they had to pay off over the years after they made a regime change. So, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, and I don't know Jacksonville's scenario, but yeah, I'm happy for Urban Meyer. I'm happy. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting story to follow. And, uh, I, I got to go with his track record. There's, I can't imagine him failing at this level. I think he's been thinking about this for a few years. He's been putting in motion the opportunity. This was the right place at the right time. And, uh, we'll see, uh, how successful he is. But as you mentioned there, you look at, you know, Carolina got a, from the collegiate ranks, uh, Arizona from the mm-hmm. collegiate ranks, you know, uh, and, and others. So, yeah, like I said, the college game is infiltrating the NFL. It's not 100% the same, but you're seeing a lot of those uh, characteristics of the collegiate game entering into the NFL because that's who the players are, uh, especially mm-hmm. on the offense. So uh, not a surprise. And We'll see exactly what he chooses to do, but yeah, it's going to be. Jeremy Fowler of ESPN is reporting that Scott Linehan is the primary target for Urban Meyer's offensive coordinator. So yeah. uh, makes sense. He's he's a former NFL coordinator. Uh, he's with LSU the past couple of years. So, um, and he has a history with Urban Meyer too. So, yeah, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting uh, to see who Meyer has on his staff in Jacksonville. It should be fun. It should be, be an interesting storyline. Uh, talking about the NFL, of course, the, the Cleveland Browns. What a punch in the face was that game uh, against the Steelers. 28 to nothing at one point. Uh, ben Roethlisberger still looking for his right arm. And, uh, man, I tell you what, it, we talk about playing a perfect game. I'm not saying the Browns played a perfect game, but maybe play the, the most perfect first quarter ever. And it may – this is weird to say because that game was such a weird game overall. But in a lot of ways, the first play from scrimmage ended the ball game when it went over the head of, of Roth, 
uh, Roethlisberger went into the end zone and the Browns recovered for a touchdown. That kind of dictated the rest of the game. In a lot of ways, that was the play that may change the fortunes for the Browns for years to come. I did not watch any of the game. I didn't watch any of the playoffs this weekend. I was sitting here Sunday night and about, I don't know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, I get a text from a guy from at work who's a Steelers fan. But I'm going to say this. He's a Steelers fan. Let's not get out. And I checked on my phone. And sure enough, he was right. He said, it's now going to be 10 years since the Pittsburgh Steelers have won a playoff game. And more often than not, when the Steelers are in the playoffs now, Mike Tomlin does not have them prepared. So he was spot on about that. But first of all, um, shout out to Brown special teams uh, coordinator and acting head coach for one game, Mike Pfizer, a former Youngstown State assistant, our Jim Trestle. Uh, congratulations to him. Always like to see uh, former Penguins doing well in the NFL. Um, and there's been a lot of them. Uh, we've been lucky. But you want to talk about, Tim, you know, a play changing the fortunes of a franchise, not just this year, but maybe for the next foreseeable future. Because for so long, as long as you've been alive, basically, Tim, those plays have not gone in the Browns' favor. It's always been a weird, fluky play that you're, you're like, there's no way this could happen. And then it happens and it hurts the Browns. You know, for a team that has lost a game – because Dwayne Rudd threw his helmet and the opponent got, you know, whatever, whatever fluky play or weird play you can think of for the Browns to have go against them. It has. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to bring up bad memories, um, but for a franchise that had red, right 88 and the drive and the fumble and all of that, can we deem Sunday night, the snap as maybe the play that, you know, the two-word moniker that changes the fortunes of this franchise for the next foreseeable future? I think it's going to be remembered. I really do. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, looking at this week's game, it is going to be an uphill battle because you're playing the defending Super Bowl champions and, and the best quarterback in football uh, against a defense that, unfortunately – it's not very good against the pass and, no. and or the run. Is it, well, yeah, but let's, let's talk about the pass because you don't have any defensive backs that are really NFL caliber because of injuries and COVID. And uh, mm. now you're going to get, you know, a uh, ward back, which is fantastic, but that's just one player. Um, and who knows how good he'll be. Uh, you compare that to the way Miles Garrett has performed since his COVID diagnosis and missing games. Uh, I mean, everybody's different. Everybody reacts differently. Mm -hmm. We'll, we'll wait and see. I don't want to, you know, jinx it before it happens. Uh, the speed of the receivers for, Oh man, for, for Kansas city versus the <laughs> speed of the defensive backs for the Browns is scary. Uh, they, they could dominate the game. Uh, it would not, you know, uh, Ty Hill had that one game. I forget against who, a few weeks ago where he's basically had 200 yards in the first half. Uh, that could happen. I let's be quite honest. That could happen against the Browns because they just don't have any safeties. They don't have any defensive backs. who can really shut him down. Um, in the same vein, if the Browns are able to run the ball and control the clock and keep Mahomes off the field, you know, they may make a game out of this. And I still think they got a puncher's chance to win this game. I'm not saying they will, but I think it's a little better than a puncher's chance. I think a good game plan executed properly, a couple breaks going your way, kind of like that snap type scenario mm -hmm. with against Pittsburgh and interceptions, uh, turnovers. If they can win those type of battles, they're going to have a chance to win this ball game. But I, that's not uncommon in the NFL, especially in the playoffs. Uh, if you can take advantage of opportunities, you're going to have a chance. Uh, it, you know, the offensive line for the Browns is beat up because of COVID and injuries. Uh, Jack Coughlin with the hammy, who knows if he's mm -hmm. going to be able to play. He's, he's an all pro, uh, you know, JC Treader is back, but you know, and then, you know, Wyatt Teller's back, you know, this, they've been in and out of the lineup all year. Uh, I mean, literally a guy, they got off the street that Baker Mayfield never met until they were dressing for the game, played in the game, mm. played significant snaps in the game, 
and they ran over him in his way. I mean, he introduced himself before the game. It goes back to like Joe, Joe Thomas back in, you know, in, in his prime with the Browns where he had a quarterback come into the game and he introduced himself in the, in, in the, uh, in a huddle. He goes, hi, I'm Joe Thomas. I'm your left tackle. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's crazy, but that's kind of how the Browns have been the last few weeks because of COVID and injuries. And, uh, you know, it's a story and a half. It's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be Sunday night. Uh, I, I, this, this is going to sound crazy. They can lose by 40 or they can score 40. Yes. And if they're right. 40, they're going to be in the ball game <laughs> because I'll say this, it's going to um, take that type of effort to win the game. In my opinion, I don't think this game will be 28, 17, uh, Kansas city or, or Cleveland. I think it's going to be 48, 45, kind of like the game against Baltimore. If the Browns are in it, the Browns have the perfect recipe to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, people might call me absolutely nuts, but the Chiefs are 21st in the NFL against the run. They're not very good. The Browns have a two-headed monster that can control the clock, keep Mahomes off the field, keep Tyreek Hill off the field, and I only say this, keep Travis Kelsey off the field, because if that guy gets rolling, you're not beating the Chiefs. Oh, they um, have so many weapons. It's ridiculous. But they also have a very, very good pass rush. And you have to have that against Patrick Mahomes. Um, the Chiefs this season, to me, look, we all know they're really good. And the offensive weapons they have is almost stupid. Uh, you and I watched their first game this year, and Hill and Kelsey didn't have great games. And they were and they're throwing the third and fourth string wide receivers. Yeah. Um, but the Chiefs this year have had a – I don't want to say – They've had a pattern where they play bored sometimes. Now, I, I'm not going to say they're going to play bored in the NFL playoffs this week. Well, let me um, ask you this. Even though they only lost one game this year or two mm-hmm. games, has the NFL caught them in at all, you think, this year? I think they have, Tim. I think they have because you look at some of the games they've had. Um, the offense in their first game in the week two or three against the Chargers, it, it was ugly. You know, that offense was ugly. And the Chargers are going to find a way to be the Chargers and blow a lead again. And if you give Patrick Holmes any sort of momentum, he's going to take it. Um, so they lost that game. They lost the Raiders once. Should have lost to them twice. But the Raiders this year just were completely done in by John Gruden and everything else this year in the second half of the season. And they struggled on a Sunday night game to beat the Broncos by six or seven that you just slogged your way through. And because Drew Locke's awful, you lucked out there. I mean, if the Browns can run, I'm going to set the magic number at 150. And people might say, 150 in a playoff game, that's nuts. It's not nuts given the Browns offensive line and this stable of backs. If they can do that, that opens up the play action game for Baker Mayfield, who's been deadly this year. Um, Kansas City's got a nice pass rush. Like you said, if the Browns are going to win this game, it's going to have to be 38-35, 48-42. They can't win this game 20-14, to 20-17. That's just how you beat the Chiefs. Um, another thing to watch, too, the last three playoff games for the Kansas City Chiefs, they've gotten down 10-plus 10, 10 points. Now, I know the Rose were all last year, but if the Chiefs get down double-digit points to the Browns, they're going to be in trouble because the Browns have the offensive line to put that game away with the run game. Well, that's the key. I mean, obviously, everyone knows the key for the Browns will be the run game and featuring uh, Chubb and Hunt and keeping them off balance with the play-action pass. And, you know, Baker Mayfield may actually play a bigger part of the run game again. Yes, you're right. uh, Then, you know, he has most of the season. Uh, Obviously, turnovers are going to matter. I mean, if the Browns can get turnovers, I don't expect the five-turnover-type scenario that we've seen last last week against the Steelers. I don't expect, you know, Mahomes to throw four interceptions like Ben Roethlisberger. I, you know, those things I don't expect. Uh, however, if you can get a forced fumble, maybe a special team turnover, mm-hmm. a possible interception, you have to turn it into points. And, uh, you, you know, as 
you've been taught many times, uh, six is greater than three. Yes, that's right. That's going to be key. And quite honest with you, uh, you know, Parky's, you yeah, know, he's an NFL kicker, but you're not, you don't want to put the game in his, in his lane. And uh, if it's under, you know, 35 yards, okay, fine. But if it's over 35 yards, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be crunching. You know, you're going to get a little, uh, you know, pucker. Right? A little before nervous. That, yeah, before that kick gets, uh, you know, executed. And so, uh, you know, it is where they are. Uh, I know that sounds kind of crazy to say it that way. But here they are in, in the divisional round. They defeated their number one foe, who's nothing but beat them up for the last decade and a half. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was a winningest coach or quarterback in mm-hmm. first energy field. I until, didn't realize that either. Up until this past year when Baker Mayfield actually won more games than he has uh, at home. Uh, well, you know, I go back to the same thing I said many times before. You have to win home games. Mm-hmm. And the Browns for that 18-year period never won home games. Yeah. Uh, you know, the NFL is a simple math game when you get down to it. I've always said you got eight games at home, eight games away. If you can win at least six home games, you only have to go four and four on the road to win mm-hmm. 10 games. And if you can win seven or eight at home, that changes the the number to a, you know, 11, 12, 13 win type season for a team. And that's basically, you know, the, the simple math formula. I, it's easier said than done. But if you make your home field a, a place where other teams can't come in and feel comfortable, uh, kind of like what Kansas City has done in the last, you know, five, six years. And uh, what other teams have done and what Pittsburgh's done going into Hinesville for many, uh, what Baltimore does going into their, you know, field and, and Buffalo's in the process of possibly doing that up, you know, this week in Buffalo, making it tough, you know, to go to Buffalo to win a ball game. Uh, I think that's going to be a great matchup too. And it'll be interesting to see exactly how it is all winds down. My gut is Buffalo's going to squeak out a victory and probably face Kansas City, but let's, I'm hoping it's the Browns and, and Buffalo in Buffalo next week. You know, that's my goal. Uh, I'm not I'll giving up that, on the Browns. I'll say this. Um, I'm not making any predictions because I haven't watched many of these teams play all year, but I maybe the Browns have blown apart the Pittsburgh Steelers as we know it because the, the Steelers are facing a an offseason – like they haven't faced in many years. They fired three coaches today already. They're they've let go one offensive lineman. Pouncey's going to retire. Villanueva, you got three, maybe four defensive backs. You're going to go. Um, and so the Steelers might become in rebuilding mode here soon. Uh, they and I've said it over and over again. The Steelers, more than any other team in the NFL, have a tradition of getting old and staying old a year or two too late. And I believe we saw that Sunday night. Um, And I'm going to say this to you and uh, Browns fans across the country. Thank you. Thank you for shutting Juju Smith-Schuster up because I can't (laughs) stand him being a Trojan. He was mediocre at USC. And the only reason why anybody knows his name is because he played with Ben Roethlisberger, who throws 70 times a game. So you're bound to complete 30 of 70. And you played opposite of Antonio Brown for a couple years where you could get your number. To me, Juju Smith-Schuster, Tim, is an average to to below average receiver. And I don't – and I'm tired of hearing it. Dude, if you – stop dancing. You're not a good football player. You're not a winner. You have not done anything to help the Steelers win. You've done more to help them lose. And just stop. Shut up. Quit dancing at midfield. Stop. You're not good. And and you are lucky that you're playing in Pittsburgh. And you better hope that you don't go to Carolina or um, who else is a bad offense in the NFL? You know? Uh, I I mean, (laughs) Oakland. Yeah. You better hope you don't go there. Or, you know, I guess it's because, Vegas. Let me, let me, we, 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 I said Oakland, but it's, it's actually Las Vegas now. You know, but 
but my point being is he's not a good receiver. He's not good. And the guy, Tim, at one point this year, I don't know if you saw the stat, he had more TikTok videos than receptions. <laughs> well, let, me, know, uh, wanna, let me add on to your comp- pile on here. Yes, please um, do. Please do. Because well, the, I just the keep worst thing on the Trojans. Happened, the worst thing that happened to Juju was he spent two years with Antonio Brown. He learned from the worst person yep, you want to learn exactly from. exactly right. And two, you were exactly right. He is known more for not being able to drive because he didn't have a driver's license and being flirted online with a porn star. Yep. Keep piling on, Tim. <laughs> Keep piling on. You know what? I, I mean, he's, you know, let's put it this way. And I'll, and I'll say this overall about the Steelers. Just in a second here. I'll let you talk in one second. Let me just put this up. The Steelers right now goes are. To further, yeah. 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 I was going to say the Steelers are in decline because their quarterback can't do it no more. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who your receivers are. There's no running game there no more. They can get 75 yards a game. Ben can probably win you seven or eight games next year as a quarterback, but he'll be 39 years old. He's immobile. Uh, You owe him $42 million if you play. If he doesn't play, he gets $22 million. How much? He, they own $42 million next year if he plays. Who the hell decided that was a good contract? Well, a few years ago, they were in they were in a salary cap hell, and he took a $10 million cut for one year that was added on to the last year of his contract. So he <laughs> – and he's guaranteed $22 million if he gets cut. So – the Steelers very well made cut Got from uh, from uh, Ben Roethlisberger this offseason anyway, just because of the numbers. Uh, cut him. He's not well, worth it. Well, yeah, they're going to have to extend his contract. And do you really want an immobile Ben Roethlisberger? Look, Hall of Famer, a Super Bowl champion, a Super Bowl MVP quarterback. I His numbers are what they yeah. are. And yeah. they're phenomenal. And mm-hmm. what he did in Pittsburgh uh, – stands alone for what what he has achieved and i don't want to take that away from the player but father time is undefeated it always win tom brady's trying to prove me wrong on that one exactly but, uh, you're right father time is still undefeated and father time will catch up to tom, yes, tom brady is. too tom brady was just one of the smartest oldest players ever to recognize that if i go to a team with a lot of talent i can win and yep. if I can learn to, exactly the new right. system and and adjust and do the things I do best and add players mm-hmm. as the season goes on, you add a, a, a Fournette, you add a Brown to an already mm-hmm. good offense, uh, I can throw for 43 touchdowns and, and have the best end of the year that I've ever had. And uh, it'll be interesting to watch the two old quarterbacks this week. And it's going to be a fun game on Saturday with the Buccaneers and the Saints. And uh, mm-hmm. the, the Saints have blown out the Bucks twice, but I'm not betting on them blowing them out three times. No, I can't see Tom Brady getting uh, blown out three times by the same opponent. And I don't know if Tom Brady's going to lose three times in the same season. To, when's the last time that happened? Do we know? I don't think it's Has ever Tom happened. Brady ever lost three mm-hmm. times in the same season an opponent? Because I, the division he played in was terrible in New England. Yeah, yeah. So no, no there. It never happened. It never so happened. yeah, it's never happened. So um, I don't know if he's ever it, lost two games to any team in the same season in the AFC East during his. I don't time think there. so. I don't think now, so. He I, may have lost to each team during a season, but I don't mm-hmm. think he's ever lost uh, both games. The last, in the, the last time, and I could be wrong. The last time Tom Brady lost to the same team twice in a season was the Broncos in 15 when he lost in the regular season and lost in the NC Championship game. I think that might have been the last time that Tom Brady lost the same opponent twice. You know, yeah. Yeah. did he lose? Yeah, I don't know. He I, may have lost to the Steelers you know, twice. Have to see. He may have lost to the Steelers twice. Maybe, yeah. You Maybe know? the Titans. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so either. I doubt it. I know – you can count out the Jets, the Dolphins, and, you know, the whole the, the AFC Bills, yeah. Bills, the whole yeah. AFC East. It's just not possible. Um, they, The Patriots just dominated during his era. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I would say the only teams that he possibly lost two to were Baltimore, uh, maybe Baltimore, possibly uh, yeah, you're Indianapolis. Right. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, uh, go way back to when they played the the uh, the Broncos and with uh, when when Peyton Manning was there and. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, recently when he's taken on the Saints and the Saints beat yeah. twice this year, uh, yeah, it just it's a it's a small list and uh, so very rare. Well, here's a guy. Know. Here's a quarterback who's played like 20 years in the NFL, so it hasn't happened very often. The run he's been on is incredible. Um, and looking back on it, it's pretty. You know, now we're talking about uh, Tom Brady in the playoffs. Most most teams don't beat him. You know, you don't beat Tom Brady in the playoffs let alone twice. And as a Broncos fan, the Broncos have beaten Tom Brady in my lifetime three times in the playoffs. I mean, that's just, you don't, you don't hear that. It's just um, the success he's had in the NFL is a remarkable. There's a reason why they call him the best. He's about the it only. It took me a long time to admit that Tom, Tom Brady may be the, the greatest quarterback in the NFL yep. history, uh, especially Errors I think this tough. year proved it. Yeah, errors are tough to to compare. I've yes, always they are. been, you know, I've always mm-hmm. my humble opinion was always Joe Montana was the best. Uh, and Tom Brady was mm-hmm. two, but he may he may be number one overall. Uh that's it's it mm-hmm. you can make the case. Um to me, if you gave me a coin and said heads heads is Montana, B is Brady, I say I win no matter what. So yeah, uh, yeah it doesn't really right. matter. Right. Uh, there's been other great quarterbacks in the NFL, and they've all had their moments. And I don't want to take anything away from other Hall of Famers, but to me, uh, in my lifetime, those are the two greatest quarterbacks I have ever watched play and knew that anytime the ball was in their hands, that they had a chance to make their team better and win. And yep. Uh, I think Montana proved that when he was in Kansas City past his prime and 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 made some great comebacks with Kansas City, which was not a really good team when he no. was there. He made them better than they were. And uh, obviously all the years in San Francisco speaks for themselves. And then Tom Brady's doing that same thing. Uh, he may have been overshadowed because of Bill Belichick in the system for many years. I think the last five, six years he's shown his worth. And this year – has proven if you had any shadow of that, that uh, this man is one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks, especially in his era, definitely number one in his era uh, and take nothing away from uh, Peyton, who may be the greatest mm-hmm. quarterback I've ever watched manipulate a game. Uh, but what Tom Brady has done in his total career, he just, I, it's, t- it's tough to say he's not the best, but I just named three that I absolutely adore and love to watch play football. Mm-hmm. And that's Tom Brady uh, and uh, Montana and, and, and Peyton Manning. I mean, he's just, you know, how do, how do you find three better quarterbacks? I don't know if you can. Yeah. I, you know, like you talked about, I think you can flip a coin with Tom Brady or Joe Montana and you're going to win either way. It's, it's one A and one B. You, you know, there's no, you ever had those questions on a test in grade school or school where, where any answer you give is right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this answer, any answer you give is right. You know, all right, let me, uh, let's move on to, uh, it's incredible to run in on. I got, I got one more thing to get to for you. I think you'll enjoy this one. Uh, Corey Kluber uh, has thrown a bullpen and uh, obviously he has not played. uh, He's played eight games over the last two seasons. And uh, the Indians were, or the Cleveland Baseball Club, however you want to look at it, uh, were one yep. of the teams that were looking at him. I'm not saying he's going to sign with Cleveland, but Buster Only is reporting that the bidding for Corey Kluber is moving quickly and will likely be a conclusion by the weekend. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think he'd be perfect fit in Cleveland for two reasons. Now, he may want to go to a team. Do we know who's in. in on him? No. And that's that's where, it, who knows, Okay. Obviously, a team that is potentially in contention uh, for a World Series will probably get a want. He'll want to be there more than anywhere else. Not saying Cleveland couldn't mm-hmm. contend, in, the, in it's just going to be difficult. Uh, but in Cleveland, he don't have to be the number one. He doesn't have to be the number two. He got to be the number four or five. And to he, me, his five. value, 
And his, yeah. his value is not necessarily his numbers every game. Let's just say he's healthy enough to play most of the season. His value is being there and his work habit and working as and a showing, yes. showing the Aaron Savalis, the Tristan uh, McKenzie's yes. of the world, how to prepare for a full season. And I'm sure that's what the Indians thought too uh, when they went to watch the bullpen. Uh, who knows? We're, we're, you know, they know him well too. So that may make a difference, but it would be an interesting uh, signing if it happens. If the Indians said what they said when they shredded all the contracts that they weren't done and that they plan on making them one more move. And they said they were planning making an investment. If that's the investment, I really don't have a problem with it. I'm not saying they're going to pay him 10, 15 million dollars a year, that type of investment, but let's say it's a, uh, incentive laden contract that could pay him up to eight to $10 million if he met all the incentives. I would have no problem with that. I think that would be a smart move on the Indians part. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I know I, I'm pretty sure it'll be a one-year deal no matter where he goes. So if you can get him for whatever number that is and it's incentive laden and he meets it, that's you're happy to pay him because of that. But if it's this a scenario would... where he can help this team grow, Long-term, ah, you, you just can't pass up that type of player. This would be a high, high, high reward, no risk signing, because if he pitches and gets hurt, you've been there, done that before. Right. But the future of the Cleveland Indians is Tristan McKenzie, Aaron Savali. They've compared Aaron Savali to Corey Kluber in his work ethic and his breakdown of games the way he pitches. Um, Zach Plesak, who we saw had a little bit of immaturity this past year going out without a mask and all that. Um, The way you approach the game, the day-in, day-out grind, those young guys can learn a lot from a guy like Corey Kluber, been at the top of the game, who's pitched in the World Series, who's won two Cy Young, who who set season records and, and franchise records. So if he doesn't want to go to a contender, which he probably doesn't. Anybody at this stage in their career wants to win a World Series, especially when you've been as close as Kluber has. But if the offer's not there, why not come home? And if this is your final ride of your career, you can end it the way that you came in, being mentored by the older guy. You lose a, a big-time clubhouse person. And here's where where Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff have been really, really good at identifying guys that can help you on the field, but their value in the clubhouse and off the field is so much bigger. The Rajay Davis is the Mike Napoli is the Coke, uh, the Jay Bruce's. Um, so a signing of a Corey Kluver could be really, really beneficial to Shane Bieber you know, the entire pitching staff. All the totally guys. Uh, it was better leadership. Oh, yeah. It's, and it's you, a no-brainer and I if think it's you broke it. And I think you broke it down a couple years ago, Tim. Um, when the Indians had Carlos Carrasco pre-cancer diagnosis, they were above 500 or, you know, something like that. In the time period when he was gone and before he came back, they were not very good. Now, I'm not saying it's all because of Carlos Carrasco, but even Andre Knott said on multiple occasions during the season, you can tell when Cookie's there and when Cookie wasn't there. Yes. He's not going to be there again. But now you can go to this guy and every fifth day, you know, maybe give you five innings, great. Um, But the innings have had success within the past of in 2005 and 2007, you know, 05, they signed. Kevin Millwood, mm-hmm. and he wasn't meant to turn back into the rotation guy. Oh, seven, Paul Burke and way. Uh, you know, Tim, I agree with you. I, I think it makes a lot of sense uh, for both sides. Yeah, it does. It, I, I don't know if it'll happen. Uh, it caught my attention when I seen it the other day. I wrote about it on Facebook, and I wanted to bring it up on the I podcast. I saw that. That's what caught my attention, too. And uh, it, it just, to me, it's a, a perfect scenario for the Cleveland uh, Baseball Club. Hopefully, in the long run, it works out. 
Uh, if it doesn't, I'd still wish him the best because of all the uh, memories that he brought us. And uh, yeah, this is, it wouldn't be the first time something like this has happened. And you mentioned some positional players that the Indians have brought in at different times. It would make sense, uh, especially after you traded Carrasco to bring in a, a veteran that people would de demand respect just because he's in uniform and what he has achieved. So uh, I think it, it's a no brainer if it can happen. Exactly. The worst case scenario it's all, and I'll guarantee you, no matter where he signs, it's all going to be incentive laden. So uh, it's all like yeah. you said, a, a low risk, high reward type scenario. And yeah, you might as well go for it. And you know, I know the Indians need a first baseman and a second baseman and an outfielder, and and I'm sure they'll fill in some of those players as uh, we get closer to training camp. But the strength of this team is pitching, so you might as well put your best foot forward for the right. future. You're right. And put a guy out there who uh, can emulate everything that you want your other players to be and how to handle themselves. And mm -hmm. that was Corey Kluber. I mean. When Shane Beaver first came to the major leagues, Tony, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Terry Francona basically said, go watch Kluber. Yeah. And there's pictures of years ago of Kluber working out on the mound and all the yes. young guys that we're talking about. I was about to the bring majors, that up. We're all watching him and how he was doing his workout. And to me personally, that type of value is indispensable. You can't, you can't put a, Put a number on it. Now, if the Yankees came calling or if the Mets came calling, the, Dodge. the Dodgers came calling, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you're mm -hmm. not going to compete with that money. The Braves. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to compete with that money, and I get that. But if it is similar numbers and he's comfortable coming back and this is where, you know, it works out for him, I think it's, it's, it's a no-brainer for the Indians. Um, we'll see if it happens. I, I honestly don't know. Um but I'm, I, I just keep an eye on it to see where he lands and uh, keep my kind of fingers crossed that uh, he you're lands right. back in Cleveland. Yeah, you're right. It's, um, you know, when I went down to spring training a couple of years ago, Corey Kluber's last year with the Indians, you weren't allowed to go watch the off-site training workouts, but you could drive through the complex and – you knew when Corey Kluber was working out because there would be a huge gathering of all the guys wearing 98 and 97 and 75, all the younger guys going to watch him throw. And even if it was just a bullpen, they went to watch him throw. There's no question. He brings, he brings so much to yeah, so the clubhouse. So. Let's hope for the best. Uh, why not? Why not? You can. There's nothing to lose here. Yeah. There was nothing to lose here, Tim. Um, so I think it'd be a great signing. We'll see if it happens. Uh, I don't. Whoever gets them, is, in my opinion, uh, has nothing but an, a, a a perfect opportunity to have success with. And like I said, if he unfortunately at mm -hmm. the end of his career, where like last year he only pitched one inning and the year before pitched seven games, mm -hmm. uh, so be it. You 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 know, two times Cy Young Award winner, a guy who pitched three games in a World Series. Uh, a guy who put a team on his back during the when they needed him most during a playoff run. Yep. Uh, he's had a phenomenal career, uh, probably not a Hall of Fame career, but a, uh, a but he's career had a that people are going to talk about. Yeah, and if this is uh, the start of a comeback where he has two, three years left, we'll see where he stands then. Um, but mm -hmm. we'll we'll just take it one step at a time. He's 35 years old, and uh, any pitcher at this stage in this stage of his career. They got to reinvent themselves in some way and to make them last till they're 40 or 41. It uh, doesn't happen often. If the scenario works out well for Kluber, I believe it could happen. I'm not saying it will. Mm -hmm. uh, Father Time, I'll say it again, is still undefeated. Yes, he still is. wins. And Tom Brady will run into that wall sooner or later. Uh, but uh, it's going to happen. And I, I kind of like the idea. I don't know if it'll happen, but I think it, it just. It, makes perfect sense to put that uh, two and two together and, and, and try to get it done. No, you're completely right. I agree with you hundred percent. I would uh, not be opposed to bringing him back at all. Well, I don't know if there's, Oh, real quick. Uh, my Vegas Knights returned tonight. Yeah. Uh, and so the NFL or NHL season begun. 
Watched a little last night. Watched the Penguins. Uh, ridiculous goal uh, by uh, by Crosby, and uh, but uh, they ended up short six to three. First games of the season. Uh, we'll see where the NHL takes us, but it's good to have the NHL back. Uh, my Vegas Knights, and uh, I will be reaching out to our good friend Gemma from uh, Melbourne here in the next week or two because the uh, AFLW will be kicking off. Uh, very Already soon. again? Yeah, yeah. The, the the women's season begins at the end of January, so I wow. hope to uh, reach out to her in the next week or so to see if she's available to come on and do a preview about that. And uh, we're going to continue to do it. The Red Hurricane season has begun. We did our first game uh, Tuesday. Have a game scheduled tomorrow that's been postponed. Uh, game on Saturday afternoon. All the games now will be simulcast on Facebook uh, through Facebook Live through the media page mm-hmm. of the Red Hurricane. I listened so, to. I listened Tuesday. Yeah, there you go. So. Uh, I, I believe I'm going to go out Saturday and do the game just for the Facebook live uh, this mm-hmm. week. Cause I, I want to see them play and it's, it's just mm-hmm. such a joy. And then uh, right I really now, wish they could score the ball a little bit better. Yeah. You know, they only got 89, 88, they scored 100. 100. Yeah. They uh, played three games. I really wish Ralph Blundell could really teach some shooting out there. You know, here's <laughs> the thing as, uh, as James was talking during the game, he goes, uh, when you talk to coach Blundell year in, year out, he always says, he likes to keep defense scoring in, in around the 50s. So far, yeah, they've, given up, they've given up uh, at 71, 60, and 60. <laughs> hey, hey, Nick Saban had it with Justin. He's okay giving yeah. up 35 points and winning a game. So, you know what? Uh, 100 points if for a high school basketball. 175. I think it's been about 20 years since I've seen a team put 100 points on in a, in a high school basketball game. They're only eight-minute quarters. Tim, it has been... The last 100-point game I saw, God, it's probably been 15 years. You remember when Ursuline had Tyra Grant? Yes. And, and Courtney Davidson on the girls' side. When they have a really good winning state mm-hmm. those couple mm-hmm. years. Uh, went to a game one time because my dad said, hey, we got to go check these girls out. They're really good. And I'm like, Dad, it's girls' basketball. Yeah. He said, I know I'm an Ursuline alum, but these girls are going to go big time. And they did. Michigan State and Penn State and had great careers. Um, they beat Woodrow Wilson 104 to 6. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened in the like girls' ne- game. It was like 75 to 2 at halftime. Yeah. Orvin used home. to have those games years ago. Back yeah. when Orvin used to have a, a juggernaut of a basketball oh, program man. for the girls. Yeah. It's, it's you oh. know what? It's unfortunate those scores happen. You hate to embarrass yeah. another school or another program like that. Sometimes it's out of pure mismatch it's 99 of the time yeah. and yeah. you play a style that they can't handle and they make turnovers this wasn't the yeah. case this was just actually they were 20 of 28 from the three-point line what yes 20 tim there are games where teams don't make 20 pointers in a season i know it was ridiculous let me just put it this way they were just that good Look, I, I, I is he going I, Paul Westfell running gun? No, he does. The yes, they play a pressure defense I and mean, they watch the videos. You'll you'll be entertained. Uh, this is a young team that's going to get better, and they moved up and ranked uh, to four. What time Saturday? One thirty in the afternoon. And just go. I'm getting on work one o'clock. I'll have Newcastle Red Hurricane Media page. Just look that up. You'll find it. Like it. You'll find all the videos there. And uh, it, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm going to go Saturday afternoon to, to do broadcast this game with James because I, I just don't want to miss this. They're that good. And, yes, um, if everything works out, still working out the details, I have to email uh, Kenny, who is the program director, get his okay. But I don't see why we won't put the audios on the, uh, the website, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not do the Running with the Kings podcast, maybe. But if I get the games themselves yeah. as, as played – then there's really no need to. You can listen to it that way, and they'll be available to all Hurricane fans out there. So, um, yeah, it is a um, it's a joy. I like I said, I I'm so lucky to have this uh, this gig, and then it's my uh, you know I love football, I love baseball, I love broadcasting everything, but this program and this team special, and uh, I, I'm I'm very lucky, and I've said that many times, and uh, I'll take this luck because uh, 
Boy, it's fun to watch. Fun to watch. And uh, hopefully uh, others will enjoy it. Speaking of football, real quick before we go, uh, I know Monday night was not what we wanted, uh, not what anybody had hoped for, but given the uh, point where we were in June and July, thinking, you know, Tim, you and I talked about it. We're not going to have a high school season this year. And we broadcast all the way to the state championship game. Um, And then in August, the Big Ten canceled. Um, But we are – listen, football season is not over yet. No, it's not. You have the Browns. You have the Browns and 38 days from today, Doug Phillips will be 1-0 as a head coach after shocking the world in the Fargo Dome. I am – I am ready to go. It, it sounds like a plan to me. I can't wait. Like I said, it's football all year round, so I that got, can't uh, be a bad thing, but, right? No, and uh, just to pass as long as our listeners, I uh, spoke to the athletic department yesterday, and it's not going to be, you know, normal, and you know, but we will have fans at Stambaugh Stadium for every game this year. Governor DeWine has given YSU the okay to have fans, uh, season ticket holders, and payment club members get priority, sure. Top priority next week. And I have card ready, and I am ready to give my 80 bucks for the spring season. All right, let's do it. Let's go Penguins. Let's go Browns. And everybody right. else in go the world Gwins. of sports. Yes, Gwyn's all the way. Gwyn's Knights. Canes, you name it all. I love them all. Can't wait. <laughs> it should be a lot of fun. Uh, hey, thanks for listening, everyone. Again, uh, by the way, I should have mentioned this right off the talk. Talk about burying this the uh, the lead here, Anthony. And this is really burying the lead. Uh, I probably should just save it mm-hmm. for next week, but I'm going to say it anyway now. If you're listening, thank you for listening yep. this long. Um, we have hit over 10,000 downloads. Tim, uh, you know, before we end, I want to say thank you for that. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, hasn't it? It sure I mean, has. It's been a hell of a lot of fun. It, and we continue to bring it. Uh, I'll probably try to get all the details next week on, on the exact numbers, how many podcasts we've done, uh, include besides uh, the sports mm-hmm. podcast, which is number 128. Uh, all of it goes into the, uh, the number but Radio MVP has over 10,000 uh, listens and downloads. So uh, my thanks to all of you. And uh, please, as I always say, uh, tell your family, friends, and enemies about Radio MVP. Because the more people listen to it, the more seen people like it. So we enjoy doing it. And uh, I hope uh, those out there who are listening uh, enjoy hearing us. So. My thanks to Anthony and Campfield. I am Tim here in Borman, and we will talk to you next week right here on Radio MVP.